0: Thank you. Thanks, brother. Well, this is a subject that I I told uh, a brother this morning that I have avoided for many years, and now I can avoid it no longer because we are in... uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, where the day of the Lord is mentioned. We'll just read that briefly. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. Now, if you've been listening to all the messages, you'll know that that day that Second Peter speaks of, or Peter speaks of, is one of two universal days of the Lord. Um, one is yet to come, and the other has already come to pass. Uh, that being the flood of Noah, which is not mentioned as a day of the Lord, but it meets the criteria. And the criteria is that it's a day of the salvation of his people, and it's a day of judgment uh, upon sinners. And uh, most, if not all, the days of the Lord in the scriptures are days when God judged through foreign armies and with the exception of one, which is Joel's uh, prophecy of the day of the Lord, which was a locust plague. Um, and the other day of the Lord, I'll call it a day of the Lord, was Noah's flood, in which it was a supernatural day when the whole world was wiped out. Um, but all the other days of the Lord in the Old Testament were foreign armies. And that's what brings us to Matthew 24. If you want to turn back there, Matthew 24. We started last time, but we'll... Uh, And we won't finish this time, but we'll continue on. (laughs) There's just, there's just no way uh, we are going to finish. I mean, I listened to someone else preach on this, and they think it took eight messages just to get through Matthew 24. So I'll probably uh, won't exceed that. So I've been reading uh, as much history as I've, For me, anyway, not a big reader, like Matthew. I don't think Matthew's a... You don't love reading, do you? Just, you have to kind of, you know... Yeah, it's kind of like a means to an end. You have to do it sometimes, but it's not like you just say, Oh, I'd love to get along with this book. I am not like that. (laughs) But when it comes to the scriptures, yeah, we want to get along with the book and understand... And this was sobering for me, particularly because of the the subjects or the signs that came in the first century of which Christians experienced, and the most disturbing was not being delivered to be persecuted, but many shall be offended and shall betray one another and hate one another. That is, many Christians were um, offended by the intensity of the persecutions and the difficulties that came upon the world, and they turned on one another. And, um, yeah, they betrayed and hated one another. I think that is probably the most disturbing thing that could happen from a Christian point of view. Your, your Christian friends that you walked with turn against you and become your enemies. That would be disturbing, wouldn't you agree? Um, it's fine when your enemies are your enemies, but when your the people that should be your friends uh, turn to be your enemies is disturbing and unsettling. And that was uh, sobering for me to think about that whole uh, possibility. If it happened in the first century... Um, if such things befall us, persecutions, what shall become of us and of me? Uh, so we want to understand what was happening here and uh, yeah, be sober.
1: <clears throat>
0: so why don't we read Matthew 24 and we'll read down to... Uh, verse 15 and Jesus went out and departed from the temple and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple and Jesus said unto them see ye not all these things verily I say unto you there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down and as he sat upon the mount of olives the disciples came to him privately saying tell us When shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, and see that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets shall arise and deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then the end shall come. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. Why don't we pray? <clears throat> thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for your, your glory, your greatness. And Lord, we look to you for understanding. Lord, in these things, we, we thank you that we have the Holy Ghost to teach us, and we have your word to guide us. And we we look to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Again, last time I likened this to like a, a big puzzle that has many, many pieces. And last things or teaching about the end times is like a puzzle that, It takes a while to put all the pieces together. What about this? What about that? And there are so many prophets that speak of it, uh, so many sections of the Scripture, and it takes a while to get all the pieces and uh, put them together. And this is just one piece of that puzzle. And I said last time as well that Mark 13 and uh, Luke 21 speak of the same events. And it'd be, you do well to put your finger in those places because we'll be going back and forth between the two. Um, Luke 21, and there is a, a couple of verses there in uh, Luke 19, which also... Uh, reference this time <clears throat> and the time is when they were coming when Jesus was riding into uh, Jerusalem and he stops and beholds the city. and this is in uh, Luke 19 in verse 43, "For the days shall come upon thee that thy enemies shall cast a trench about thee, encompass thee around, and keep thee in on every side." And they shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee. And they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. Again, that's speaking of the destruction of Jerusalem, Christ himself prophesying those things. But the events in Matthew 24 and the events in Luke 21, which our Lord is speaking of, are everybody would agree, no matter what view you might have about the end times and about these passages, everyone would agree that those talk about the same event. Whether you believe it hasn't happened yet or whether you believe um, it has. And those that would believe its future... um, do believe that Jerusalem was destroyed and in some way is speaking about these things. But they would see them, when I've heard them preached, it's all as if it's future. And that's all I can say about that view. And I think everybody has, just so we have a framework of other people's theological views, because that's what you will mostly encounter is that the church is waiting for the rapture. That is when uh, we're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, but that is not the second coming. That is Christ coming to the air. He doesn't come to the earth, and he catches away his church, and that begins what um, is called the Great Tribulation. And the first, which is seven years, the first three and a half years is a time of peace. The Antichrist makes a, I presume after the rapture is gone, the Antichrist makes a covenant with Israel of peace, and then at the three and a half year point, according to Second Thessalonians chapter 2, he goes into the temple that is not yet rebuilt in Jerusalem, but I suppose, will be rebuilt if this theological view is correct. He goes into that temple and he declares himself as God and that the whole world worship him and the Jews say no. And thus the uh, second half of that seven years, three and a half years, divine judgments are... Uh, revealed in the earth and that is the book of revelation so all of the book of revelation is compressed into three and a half years which has not happened yet and that at the end of that three and a half years christ returns and destroys the wicked and the millennial kingdom begins which is a thousand years of christ reigning on the earth and at the end of that thousand years there's another rebellion Don't ask me how the people get there that rebel. But there is another rebellion, and Christ returns again to destroy those people, or he destroys them because he is on the earth. And that's basically what's called the premillennial position. Um, And there is a lot of ducks you've got to get in a row to get that to work. And, yeah, no matter what view you take, there are challenges in interpreting the scripture. But um, I believe that it's evident that that view, um, I don't believe that view is correct. And it's ironic that a guy like me is saying that. (laughs) Uh, Because I know far less than those that would um, preach that view. But we'll go through it together and you can look at the scripture for yourself and see um, what if these things be so. So back to Matthew 24. Now remember the day of the Lord was, uh, was always, with the exception of those that we said, so I can say always, was a foreign army coming in to destroy, um, destroy either Israel or another nation. And um, sorry, it was either a, the Jews were often in view there, but God did destroy other nations. But the day of the Lord was always a foreign army. And such, Matthew 24, is consistent with that because the, the Jews were destroyed then by a foreign army. And the people of God escaped before that destruction happened, consistent with all of the days of the Lord in the Old Testament uh, where uh, that was the uh, general pattern Notwithstanding his destruction of Babylon and any, everything, the people of God weren't there, and he destroyed them. <clears throat> so, i you've got your hand there in Luke's gospel, the, uh, Jesus and his disciples are in the temple. He has just Told the uh, Pharisees that they are going to receive all the judgment that has come upon, that has come upon, will come upon that generation because they have killed the prophets in the history of all of Israel. They have killed um, the prophets of God. And then... He says that he's going to send them prophets and wise men and scribes. I believe those were the apostles and other Christians as well. And he tells them that they're going to persecute them as well. And then ultimately they're going to kill the Messiah. And so upon that generation is going to come all of that judgment that's kind of been pent up over all the history of the world. And when Jesus was about to be crucified, the Jews said, His blood be on us and on our children. And um, what a chilling statement that turned out to be. Just can you imagine saying, as a people, those that were there, not all the Jews, but... um, the nation, by and large, said his blood be on us and on his children and on our children. And that did come to pass. In, uh, yeah, just a, chilling to even think of it, but that's what they said. And so the Lord said all uh, the vengeance of God for killing all the prophets is going to come upon that generation. And that's why I believe that this, Matthew 24, is speaking about that time. Um, If you look at uh, verse 34, Verily I say unto you, This generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Now, there's difficulties, but I think that's the bookend, so all these events happened... Uh, because that generation that he was speaking of there received the wrath of God for all of the persecutions and ultimately the killing of Messiah. If you turn over to Luke's gospel there, which you have your finger in, a similar statement is made. Um... In verse 32, verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all these things be fulfilled. So, the generation that he's speaking to, namely uh, his apostles, and I don't even know, I was thinking last night, did Paul even make it to the destruction of Jerusalem? I'm not sure. I don't. Yeah, perhaps only John, the rest of the apostles were either dead already or they um, were in other lands preaching the gospel. So, so yeah, I've, I've, I hadn't really thought about it before. I think Paul perished and Peter under the reign of Nero, and Nero died only two years before the destruction of Jerusalem. So it would be not, since these men were listening to it, it is also for Christians that were going to be alive at that time, i.e. the destruction of uh, Jerusalem. So they asked this question in verse 2, see not all these things. So the Lord shows them the beautiful buildings of the temple and it was beautiful. Um, and he says, see not all these things. Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives. So he makes this statement. He says the temple and all the buildings here are going to be destroyed. And they must have just been dumbfounded. You can imagine. Because that, what, what that would mean. Um, the destruction of the temple of God. And it had happened once before, about 600 years before, uh, give or take. But uh, that happening again was unthinkable um, for the the Jew. And so they go off to the Mount of Olives, and from the Mount of Olives they would have looked down and saw the city and the temple there. And so they asked him in private, And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, When shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming, and of the end of the world? Now, I was meditating on this this morning. I thought, the disciples don't care about the rest of the world. They don't. (laughs) When do you ever see the disciples caring about the Gentiles? And I wonder if the pygmies in Africa and um, in Australia, how they're going to get on. They're not, it's not even entering their minds. How the aboriginal people in uh, Canada and uh, in the United States, it's not on their mind. They didn't care about Gentiles, and if you read the Old Testament, you will see that. (laughs) They do not care about the Gentiles. They call them dogs and they were all bound for hell. And when Jesus mentioned two Gentile people that were saved in his own hometown synagogue, what did they want to do to him? They wanted to kill him. They were filled with wrath. They just could not care less. Jonah is a great example of Jewish um, attitude towards Gentiles. As far as they were concerned, that yeah, they just didn't exist. They were unnecessary. Yeah, you had to put up with them, but really it's all about Israel. So when they asked, what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world, they weren't asking anything about the Gentiles. But when Jesus said the temple's going to be destroyed, they're thinking, this is the end of the world. It's the end of the world as far as we're concerned. And then somehow Jesus is going to... Rebuild, something's going to happen. But they weren't thinking of the destruction of the entire globe. As we shall see. Remember, all the days of the Lord except for one was a local event. This was a local event. It's consistent with all the other days of the Lord. And you know the one that isn't. That's Noah's flood. And the one that's coming is a universal event. Uh, otherwise, worldwide. But this one was a local event, and there are many, many reasons why that is so. Um, But those that would see this as not a local event, yes, local, but it affects the entire globe, um, I would see as not the case. And this has already happened. And... We shall see that as we go through. But in Luke's um, account of the same event, remember? The same event, he uh, asked this question. And they asked him, or the disciples collectively asked him, saying, Master, this is in Luke chapter 21, verse 7, When shall these things be? And what sign will there be when these things shall come to pass? So they're asking only two questions. What or when shall this happen? We want to know when. And what sign, they ask singular, although he gives them many more signs. Um, Will there be when these things shall come to pass, i.e. the destruction of the temple. But Matthew puts it, And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? They want to know when and what are the signs. And he is going to give them uh, perhaps more than they anticipated. Because they wanted to know, and he wanted them to know, what are the signs that before the temple is destroyed, uh, he wants them to know what uh, will be the signs of that event. <clears throat> but in Matthew's gospel, it's the coming of God. And all the days of the Lord passages, remember we've talked about them, God comes to wipe out a, with a foreign army, and he is as if, as he is doing it. Now, we've talked about this before, but just by way of reminder. So even though it's the sword of the Babylonians or it's his um, locust plague, it says he shouts before his army. And he is using a human instrument, although it's an execution of divine wrath. And I think that's very important because this is exactly what happens in Matthew 24, and in Luke 21, and in Mark 13. He's using, in this case, the Roman army to execute the judgment that he has spoken of in Matthew 23, that it is a day of vengeance for their killing of the Messiah, their rejection of Messiah. And he himself comes in judgment, Christ himself. And he does it through a foreign army, which is consistent, as we said, with all the days of the Lord in the Old Covenant. So, then he's going to um, talk about those signs. And we mentioned last time the history that was leading up to, uh, to that event. When our Lord is, um, is killed and he is raised to life, he goes back to heaven. And then there is 37 years until the destruction of the temple. So that's not a huge time, but it's not a short time either. It's, we would call it a long time. If you had to wait for 37 years for something, you'd say that's a, that's a long time, depending on how old you are. If you're older, you'd say that's a short time. But if you were younger, you'd think, that's a long time. <clears throat> so, the, uh, that time frame, the Lord is speaking of in uh, Matthew 24, verse 4 through 14. So, it's not a, you know, we're not talking about a one or two years. We're talking about a, uh, decades of time. And the Romans were in control of the land of Palestine. And there was an emperor that rose to the throne named Coegula, I believe that's how you pronounce it. Um, although I may be pronouncing it wrong. But he threatened to put a statue of himself in the temple of Jerusalem and, uh, so that the Jews could worship him along with the true God. And the Jews said, no way. You're going to have to kill the whole nation. We're not going to allow that. And so at that time, there was a threat of war in Israel. And then throughout that, those decades to come, all these events begin to happen. And so we'll start with the, the uh, first sign. <clears throat> in chapter uh, 24 of Matthew, in verse verse 4 and 5. Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. So the first sign is false messiahs. Now, we remember that uh, there was great anticipation of Messiah. John the Baptist, they asked him, Art thou Christ? And he said, No. Art thou that prophet? All that terminology referring to the same person. And he said he wasn't. But there was an anticipation that Christ would come. At that time, they knew that the nation was anticipating that. Um, But then Christ comes on the scene. He's, by and large, he's rejected and he's crucified. And to the Jew, that's it. He's just like all the other false messiahs. And he um, is rejected as being the true messiah. Certainly the Pharisees said, has any one of us believed in him? (laughs) The answer was, he's not the messiah because we haven't believed in him. If he was, then we would believe in him. So when Christ was off the scene and returned to heaven, many other false messiahs came on the scene. And it's true if they rejected the true messiah, then they would be subject to many false ones because there was nothing else but any other messiah was a false one and they had rejected Christ. And Josephus writes of the time, The land was overrun with magicians, seducers, and imposters who drew the people after after them in multitudes to see signs and miracles which they promised to show. And I think I've recorded just a few. The first guy, I can't even pronounce his name, Dosathesis, apparently claimed to be Christ. Turn to Acts chapter 8 and verse... Nine. Josephus mentions Simon Magus, who is mentioned in Acts chapter eight and verse uh, nine. <clears throat> there was a certain man uh, called Simon, which before time in the same city, used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving himself giving out himself as some great one to whom they all gave heed the least into the greatest saying this man is the great power of God and to him they had regard because for a long time he'd bewitched them with sorceries and we know what uh, Simon saw the miracles of Philip and he wanted that same power for himself presumably to um, gain more uh, acclaim for himself. And Simon um, says, uh, repent this of thy wickedness and pray that God, if perhaps the thought of thy heart might be forgiven thee. Um, so Simon Magus did miracles that, if I could say, wowed people. And it is throughout the Old Testament, there were uh, warnings in Deuteronomy for men that would come and do miracles and then lead the people astray. This is not a new concept. Um, but the those that were claimed to be Messiah were apparently uh, many. <clears throat> turn over to Acts chapter 5. I'll turn back to Acts chapter 5. And of course, no one did... Uh, The miracles that the true Messiah did, because they're not true messiahs, they are false ones. So they were some to a greater and lesser degree. Acts chapter 5 and verse 36. This is Gamaliel counseling the Sanhedrin. Remember, he cautions them against fighting against these uh, Galileans because he's saying that the one that they're proclaiming is just another false Christ. And he gives two examples of other uh, messianic hopes that died. Uh, Verse 36. For before these days rose up uh, Thutius boasting himself to be somebody to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves who was slain and all that obeyed him were scattered and brought to naught. After this man rose up Judas of Galilee in the days of the taxing and drew away much people after him who also perished and all that as many as obeyed him were dispersed. So he gives two... um, rather lackluster, uh, but messianic hopes that had come upon uh, the people of Israel. Apparently, there was many, uh, of which we've just mentioned uh, a few. I think there was recorded 24 names of men that claimed to be Messiah, but obviously uh, were not. Now, one of the arguments that's used is again, this being a future event, that these, there wasn't really anybody impressive and that the miracles are going to be such that it's going to deceive, if possible, the very elect. And I don't believe that. It's valid. I believe there's enough evidence in history that there were many false messiahs. Uh, I don't think there were any, there wasn't no people that claimed to be a messiah Uh, would seem to go against uh, recorded history. He says, For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. The second sign was wars and rumors of wars. Now, people comment and say, well, we've always had that. Well, yes. But um, at that time, particularly in those 37 years, there was uh, wars and rumors of wars. We've mentioned one reason for one, and that was the emperor wanting to set up a statue of himself, and there was great anticipation and the threat of war, because the, ambassador, the, the uh, ambassador that came to deliver that message said, do you want to go to war over it? Uh, so there was the threat of war, and that would have been around 40 A.D. <clears throat> so they, the, Jew, uh, the Jews had several uh, wars in that time frame with people of other nations, the Syrians, People of Alexandria, Gadara, and Damascus, of just to mention a few, and there is a huge section of all the people that were killed in those wars that Josephus catalogs. <clears throat> Furthermore, there were open wars uh, in different provinces against one another. Now, this uh, those that would say this is a future event say. That, Yeah, again, I I don't accept that. And it was wars across the globe. But even when there was wars across the globe, we call it world wars. We're aware in our generation, we know of two world wars. And these are called world wars, but they only included which nations? Roughly. Anybody wanna hazard a guess? Germany, Britain? Russia, yeah, they kind of got involved, yeah. US? US? Yeah. Yeah, so you got Europe there. We'll include that as one. But you have large sections of the world, in fact, most of the population of the world did not get involved. And it's called a world war. Um, remember the context of matthew twenty four is a local event, and to uh, to the Jews, the world was just Israel, but certainly um, the Roman world only went as far from Britain over to into the little bit into the Middle East and into North Africa. that was the world, and that is the context here of Um, Matthew 24. So it doesn't mean that the entire globe has to be fighting. Even in our generation, that was the case. Called the World War, but South America didn't get involved. Africa didn't get involved, at least the South part. Australia, China, India, you know, you just go on and on and on. So the wars that were, would have been wars that the Jews would have heard about and rumors of wars. And there were many such uh, disturbances. I mean, wouldn't you be disturbed if you heard there was war in the United States? We would be unsettled, you could say. And this was one of the signs. There was wars. There was even civil war in Rome. I think in the year... Prior to the death of Nero, or after the death of Nero in 68 AD, there were four emperors in one year. And it was a time of great upheaval and great uh, wars in the Roman Empire. <clears throat> so at that time, the Roman Empire or emperor that's spoken of in Daniel comes to, if I could say, the throne. In AD 69, Vespasian became the emperor after those four emperors were um, fighting there. There was a success of four emperors. He went back to Rome after he had gone through Galilee and he was just about to attack Jerusalem as the last bastion of rebellion And he withdrew and went back to Rome in uh, AD 69. He became the emperor, and then he appointed his son Titus to go and finish the job. That was uh, the destruction of Jerusalem. So all these disturbances were in uh, that time frame. Wars and rumors of war, see that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines, and pestilences, and earthquakes. And those that would say, see, this is nation against nation, this is just not uh, in that little area. Um, Why don't we turn to, uh, I think it's, 2 Chronicles 15. Martin pointed out this scripture in our discussion last time. 2 Chronicles 15. Nation rising against nation. <clears throat> Uh, Second Chronicles 15 and verse uh, 5. <clears throat> and in those times there was no peace to him that went out, nor to him that came in. But great vexations were upon all the inhabitants of the countries. And nation was destroyed of nation and city of city. For God did vex them with all adversity. Now, he wasn't talking about war in China. Like, how would they even know about that? This was around that area, there was, but it's said of nation against nation, and that did happen in the first century. Different provinces revolted against the Roman Empire, and nation was uh, vying for power and fighting against nation. The Jews were a nation, and there were other people groups uh, that were warring in that area. So that comes to pass, but he says, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines. The next uh, sign is that of famine. Um, Turn to Acts chapter 11 in verse 28, because one of these famines is recorded for us in the Scripture. Acts 11 and verse 28. In verse 27, and in those days came prophets from Jerusalem to Antioch, And there stood up one of them named Agabus and signified by the spirit that there should be a great dearth throughout all the world which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren which dwelt in Judea. Why? They would have felt it the hardest. So when he says the whole world, again, he's not talking about Australia and everything is talking about their context, the world. And it mentions the Caesar that was in power at that uh, time. So our Lord says there's going to be famines. And with famine comes the next one. What's that? Pestilences, diseases. Because when people lack food and they lack good food. You'd have food that was around, it was perhaps stale or had gone bad. In a famine, you're starting to eat the stuff. Imagine if you had to eat everything in your house and you're down to the last, if I could say, dregs. It'd be the stuff in the bottom of the freezer that's freezer burnt and it's this, or it's that, or the bag of whatever in the, clo- in the closet that's uh, maybe turned. And then when you... Are In those conditions, you have pestilence, disease. And there was such at that time as well. The, uh, those that would accompany uh, famines. And earthquakes in diverse places. <clears throat> Josephus records earthquakes in various places. Smyrna, Miletus. Samos, Crete, and in Rome. So there was earthquakes, and now you see earthquakes in that whole area. The land of Israel is an earthquake zone, not very often. Turkey, I mean, just heard about that one a couple of months ago. And all over that region, there was earthquakes in that time in the first century. And he tells them... <clears throat> All these things are the beginning of sorrows. They're just uh, the beginning. Things are going to get a lot worse. Um, So he tells them, and those that would have lived through that time would have saw all those things happening. In verse 9... Then they they shall deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. We could just term this one persecutions, the first um, or the fourth sign. Now, do we have to mention, you go through the scripture, you have Stephen, Paul, Peter, and James. Paul... Peter and James were killed by, I mean, James was killed by um, Herod, who was uh, a vassal king. But uh, persecutions under Nero against the Christians was well recorded. Under our Tertullian records of the time, it was crime enough if someone was a Christian. So you wouldn't have to be uh, bold, overt, preaching on the street type of a Christian to get persecuted in the time of Nero. You just had to be a Christian. And there are some nations like that on earth, even today, where if you're found in possession of a Bible, it's worthy of death. Um, Now, we don't live in that context, but under Nero... And Nero was when? What time frame? Just before. I think his reign was, I forget how long. Too long. Nero was a, uh, yeah, we would call him a a maniac. He was something else. So when you talk about politicians today, thinking, these guys are pussycats, Sunday school teachers compared to these men. Uh, Brutal. Um, just unbelievable how they uh, persecuted the church of God. Nero would arrest Christians, and then he would torture them to confess. And they, some did. And thus they, the next thing is fulfilled. <clears throat> um, then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. So in that first century, under Nero especially, that persecution arose, particularly acute, and many Christians were arrested and, according to Tacitus, barbarously executed. Barbarously thrown to lions and burnt at the stake. All kinds of horrific things happened to Christians, but it gets worse (laughs) Many shall be offended, it says. Many Christian people shall be offended and then turn on one another and hate one another. Um, unthinkable. And the hatred was displayed in their turning in or um, yeah, revealing where these people were. It's not like today where Hiding is probably not an option. But um, many will not be able to take, or did not, were not able to take the persecution and the difficulty that uh, befell them. Turn to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1. And in our, yeah, I still think of myself in terms of just the ease in which I live, the uh, the comforts that I enjoy every day. Being in a place where you're set against would be, I'm certainly not going to boast against tomorrow. But Second uh, Timothy one fifteen. <clears throat> Oh, that can't be it. Oh, I'm in First Timothy, that's why. <laughs> Second Timothy uh, one, fifteen. This thou knowest that all that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me, of whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. So I presume those were companions of Paul. And when the persecution, the difficulty got too great, they turned away from him. Kind of like the disciples who said, we're going to go to prison and to death and then when the tame come, it said they all forsook him and fled. Um, Same thing happened here uh, to Paul. Turn over to in the same book, chapter 4 and verse 10. <clears throat> Do thy diligence, this is verse 9, to come shortly unto me, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. <clears throat> and then down in verse 16, at my first answer no man stood with me, but all men forsook me, I pray that God may not be laid to their charge. Uh, yeah. Paul, perhaps, having to answer to the emperor uh, Yeah, in his defense of the gospel, everyone thought, wow, this is trouble, <laughs> and uh, forsook him. And he does say, pray that this wouldn't be laid to, against their charge. is isn't that you can't come back from that, but it's not a good sign. Uh, the disciples did come back from that. Peter did as well, denying the Lord, running away. But betraying your, uh, your fellow Christian is what happened there in the first century. <clears throat> Many shall be offended, shall betray one another, and hate one another. And many false prophets shall arise and deceive many. So there's false messiahs, and then there is false prophets, of which the scripture talks uh, a multiplicity of false prophets arise in that time frame and deceive many people within the church and outside the church. There was False prophets. We'll just go to to one scripture. There could be several in the New Testament. Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Famous uh, passage. Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. Take heed, therefore to yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood for this for i know this after my departure shall grievous wolves enter in among you not sparing the flock also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them of which when you read the new testament there's many such False prophets. The Lord warned of false prophets in Matthew chapter 7 that they would be uh, wolves in sheep's clothing to lead away uh, disciples after themselves, ultimately to eternal uh, destruction. And those false prophets persisted. Even in the destruction of Jerusalem, Josephus writes that during the fall of Jerusalem, prophets spoke of divine help that would deliver the city if they would not give up. And you could imagine um, in that context where there would be many. Even in uh, Jeremiah was a true prophet at that time. He was telling the people, go out to the king of Babylon. And the false prophets were saying, no, resist him. And that was the, uh, the word of the Lord at the time was to go out and to submit to the king of Babylon, which the false prophet said, no, we need to re- resist this guy, and God is with us and all that. And um, they were ultimately destroyed. So in this case, in the first century... <clears throat> God's word to the Christians was, get out, which we'll get to, um, but not uh, to fight. Get out of uh, Jerusalem. We'll we'll continue on. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. So you've got... um, You've got false messiahs, you've got uh, famines, pestilences, earthquakes, you've got false prophets within and without, and because of all that, the love of many shall wax cold. <clears throat> Their love for Christ ultimately waning, and when your love for Christ wanes, guess what? Your love for the brethren would also wane. And thus, those things that was spoken of, many shall betray one another and hate one another. Again, an unthinkable situation. Um, But we want our love to be hot for the brothers and the sisters. We all need one another. But he that shall endure to the end shall... The same shall be saved. Now again, people have uh, pained over this verse. Um, When's the end? And um, what does it mean to endure? Turn to Hebrews chapter 6. It's not a... uh, unheard of subject in the scripture, Hebrews chapter 6, and now the context of the book of Hebrews was difficulty, persecution that had arisen against the Jewish Christians for their profession of Messiah, Um, Hebrews 6.12 We'll read in verse 11, And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that ye be not slothful but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Again, in the face of difficulty, persecutions arising, there is the uh, temptation to leave off uh, the profession of Christ, so that the difficulties will stop. That's, it's not crazy, but the, um, that's not the way. <clears throat> Turn to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36. <clears throat> he tells them in verse 35... He, already, he speaks of persecutions, remember the former days, and then they endured reproaches, afflictions, and he tells them not to give up on that, not to cast away. He says in verse 35, Cast not away therefore your confidence, that is that Jesus is the Messiah. You need to continue to believe that despite the difficulties that have come. Because of that, that ye might receive the promise For yet a little while, and he shall come and will not tarry. So the will of God is that we continue to profess Christ in difficulty. Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us. That's the sin of unbelief, and let us run With patience, the race that is set before us. In uh, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 15, let us therefore offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of lips giving thanks to his name. Again, the, the tendency is for people to leave off the profession of Christ that is giving them so much trouble. But he that will endure to the end shall be saved. Endure all these difficulties and shall continue to love the brethren and love the Lord Jesus, even if it costs you your life. We're not in that position. I think the loudest, most uh, yeah, Christian in Canada wouldn't get more than what would be a slap on the wrist. He might get put in jail uh, for a time uh, for some kind of public disturbance, but what, what could happen to somebody in Canada right now? That might not be the case in the future. I mean, society could uh, turn against us. <clears throat> Verse 14, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then the end shall come. So, those that would believe that this is still future, believe that every single person in the entire world must hear about Christ before the end shall come. And the end is the second coming of Christ, and that's what this is talking about. But... Again, remember, the context of Matthew 24 is not the entire globe. It's a local event, and it is not speaking of the entire globe. Turn to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 6. Now, remember, the apostles went out after uh, the day of Pentecost, and many went to different parts of the world and different nations. I'll have to read up on where the other apostles, or maybe there isn't any record of it. Perhaps there is. Um, Colossians 1.6. <clears throat> he talks about the, the truth of the gospel which is come unto you that is in all the world and bringeth forth fruit as it is. Since the day you heard of it. <clears throat> and then over to 23. If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. Paul says that every creature under heaven's heard the gospel. Uh, well, it isn't the guys over here. In north america um, it wasn't the people in australia whoever was there at the time or the philippines or the maldive islands and you could just so he he wasn't referring to the whole globe but as far as they were concerned it was the whole world and that was the the gospel continued to go out and eventually the gospel has come to all the nations in the world to some a greater or lesser degree but for the purposes of the New Testament, um, the gospel went into all the world. Only, you think that the apostles, only 12 men carried Paul, just one man. The gospel went all the way to Spain, all the way into uh, what we would call Europe, and part of the Middle East, around all of uh, the land of Judea, certainly, up into uh, modern-day Turkey, up to the Black Sea, Galatia, all of that. One man. What did the other apostles do? I don't think they were twiddling their thumbs. They were preaching the gospel in the world. And that's here in Matthew 24 as well, which we shall see. And then the end shall come. What end? In verse 15, when... Ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. Again, this is a local event, a local day of the Lord, spoken of by the Lord Jesus himself and prophesied in the Old Testament. This is where it gets, yeah, um... We're going to put on your snorkel. We're going to go, go down deep. <laughs> okay, turn over to Luke. Remember, you got your finger there. I think we spoke about this last time, but... Luke chapter 21 in, uh, in verse 20. So we're going to look at these simultaneously. We've already read Matthew 24, verse 15. When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet. And we'll look at that too. Stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. That that note is put there by the gospel writer um, to alert any Christian that was reading this after To think when you see these things happen, because they would have lived through that 30 years, 30 or 40 years there, and they would know that all these things have happened, but this is the major sign that the end is near, and the end being not the destruction of the world, but the destruction of Jerusalem, of which they asked the question in the first place, when Shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming? And Luke puts it in a different way. What sign will there be when these things shall come to pass? And this is the major sign right here. <clears throat> and he, Luke describes it as, and this is in Luke 21 and verse 20, And when, remember the whole I question was about when. They want to know what sign, when this is going to happen. And he says, when ye shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. So what Matthew says there, the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet, and Luke puts it this way, when you see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation... Thereof is nigh. So the abomination of desolation <clears throat> is um, something that's abominable that brings a desolation. So let's go over to. Wow, it's already quarter after. <laughs> to be continued. Yeah, I did say that at the beginning. So let's go to Daniel to whet our appetite in the the Old Testament because uh, Matthew does mention that this is the abomination that's going to cause a desolation. Okay, we'll read in at verse 26. And after three score and two weeks, yeah, chapter 9, sorry. Daniel chapter 9 in verse 26. <clears throat> and after three score and two weeks, Messiah shall be cut off. That's the death of the Messiah. <clears throat> but not for himself. And the people of the prince, that's the uh, Roman emperor, shall come and shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. Again, we'll have to... uh, We'll get more into that the next time. But that is the basic idea. The end of the war is going to cause a... Desolation, And it says it's spoken of like a flood. Common terminology in the Old Testament, the flood is just like an overwhelming destruction. And floods do do that. And there are many um, references to that in the Old Testament. A foreign army coming in like a flood. The Assyrians, it says it's going to reach up even to the neck. Oh, Emmanuel, I think that's in... Uh, Isaiah chapter 8, I think. But that whole coming in like a flood is uh, pictured of the destruction of a foreign army. <clears throat> so when the Christians see this, the armies, as Luke said, surrounding Jerusalem. Now, the way I always understood it was the abomination of desolations was the, the Antichrist going into the temple and setting up an image of himself or something like that. But how would you, if you lived in the Mount of Olives, see that? Or if you lived, you know, a mile or two outside of Jerusalem? Or if you lived in the other side of the city or whatever? You just wouldn't see it. And people say, well, it's going to be on TV. Do I even have to comment on how ridiculous that is? These are for people in the first century. There's no YouTube. There's no cell phone. You know, there's going to be none of that. This not even in the mind of the writer. It's something they have to remember. It's a sign and they have to see it. When you see. uh, He says in verse 15, when you see. And then Luke says, when you see. So it's something you could see. And when you see the armies surrounding Jerusalem, and remember how many soldiers were there? Josephus uh, is correct. Uh, Not that many. That would be a lot. 60,000. They attacked four years before with only around 10,000. So this is a considerably larger army. When you see... The armies surrounding Jerusalem then know that the desolation is nigh. And this is the abomination that causes desolation. On the top of the Roman standard was an eagle clasping a thunderbolt. And it was an idol to them, to the Romans, and to the Jews, it was an abomination. They had flags, you know, every army carries a standard, and that's a flag, an ensign. And it was an eagle. Clasping a thunderbolt. Uh, interesting when you get uh, further on in Matthew's gospel. But when they saw that, all these armies with their ensigns, then the Christians, it says, He who readeth, let him understand. And then run for it, because you don't have much time. Run for it. And we'll have to stop there. Yeah. Sure, yeah. Thanks for being uh, yeah, so gracious.
1: Good to understand these things, uh, brethren. Um, and if you're not used to looking at the scriptures this way, it can be a bit of a, a shock, a bit of a prelude where Sean's going. Right? You know, you read the end of the book. Uh, ultimately, Peter is talking about the end of the end, right? Peter. And if I understand Sean, he's, he's sharing what it is not, right? That Matthew 24 is not what Peter's talking about. Have I got you right on that? Uh, but, and so he's just explaining why. It's important. Many are running to and fro. The uh, confusion concerning last things was in the first century as well. Some of them had left off working. They were just uh, idle. You know, the whole busybody thing. The Lord's about to come back. And Paul told them, look, Antichrist is going to come first and so on. Which, by the way, he did come. That's for another time. So I'll join you in the, in the um, controversy there. Regardless. Uh, There's two things I'll say on that just to allay some fears with respect to the mark of the beast. Because Christians have morphed from looking for the coming of Christ to looking for the mark of the beast. That seems to preoccupy many. And that's not what we're told to look for. That's one short statement in the book of the Revelation. That the whole world is going to worship someone instead of Christ, and that that loyalty is going to become so severe that you're going to have to pledge that loyalty by a mark or you won't even be able to buy and sell. But understand, it's not just a random mark and now, well, where's the Antichrist, right? It's the result of a global or a worldwide, let me use a biblical language, a worldwide uh, worship of antichrist that is so all um, requiring that you even have to take a physical mark to identify with the Antichrist. All right? So let's be clear on that. Let's not get bogged down with the minutia of technology. Of course, you should not take any kind of chip or anything, tattoo, stamp on your hand. You shouldn't be taking any kind of mark in your body at any time for any reason. That's basic. Old Testament, they know that. You don't be getting tattoos like none of that. It's all ungodly. So don't do that. And any commercial system that requires you to take a chip in your arm, I don't care if it's in your left toe, you shouldn't be taking it. You're defiling the temple of God. So I'm not suggesting that it's okay to take a mark because where's the beast? Not at all. I'm more strict than most of these people. When we'd go to a homeschooling conference, they want to stamp our hands and we don't do that kind of thing. And I remember the one lady, her eyes widened and they scrapped that for the next year because they made the connection. You don't want to condition people to be getting stamps on their hand to gain entry, right? It's all ungodly. But understand, the Christian is looking for Jesus. That's what we're looking for, right? Uh, The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Let us comfort one another, brethren, with all the news and all that's going on in the world. We are looking for the manifestation of Jesus. Unveiled glory when every eye shall see and That's what we're looking for. That's what we're working towards. All right? That's where we're going. And until then, preach the gospel all the time. And if necessary, use a megaphone. Right? That's, uh, I think that's Ray Comfort's version on St. Francis of Assisi. If necessary, use words. Um, so that's one I want to, want to exhort us with. And, you know, kind of a closing remarks on our brother expounding the details of prophecy. The other thing is, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Brother and sister, young or old, if your love is waxing cold now, it is not going to suddenly heat up under persecution. Let us make sure we are fervent in our love for Christ and in our love for the brethren now. If they do these things in a green tree, Jesus said, what shall be done in the dry, right? Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. If they do these things, if they will crucify Messiah in a time of revival, what do you think they're going to do to people under those times? And it's horrific. You'll have to spare us some of the details. Brother and sister, if your love for Christ is waxing lukewarm or cold now, when persecution comes, you will deny him at the drop of a hat. Don't deceive yourself. Let us be fervent in charity, in devotion to Christ, in kind encouragements to each other. Shake off discouragements over the relatively minor things that are discouraging now and rejoice in Christ Jesus because it's going to get hotter. Uh, now is the day of, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Today you have opportunity to buy oil, to be renewed in Christ. And let us kindly help each other. Exhort one another daily. It was, uh, it was your dad, uh, Nathan. He was over a while ago. And he was sharing something in, um, that was on his heart in Bolivia through the lockdowns. And Hebrews I think I wanted to put it in chapter 13, but I think it was in the earlier chapters, three or six or something. Um, Exhort one another daily, right? So much the more as you see the day approaching, exhort one another daily, right? Take heed lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin, but exhort one another daily. And um, he pointed out that it's not just for yourself, but you're taking heed for your brother. That's why you're exhorting your brother daily. You're not just looking out for you. You're looking out for your brother. And let us be a a congregation, a brotherhood that um, tenderly but fervently exhorts and encourages one another whenever we're together. Let us take heed. These are serious things. These are the realities of life. The love of many shall wax cold. Let it be none of us here. Uh, Let keep the home fires burning hot. Amen. Let's uh, let's pray, uh, shall we? Uh, Next week, the brothers are going to come, right? Sean gets a break. Uh, We'll have communion.